0: All right, so just so you all know, um, especially for the new freshmen that are here, when you guys come in on Sundays, there should be breakfast every Sunday morning going forward, and you don't have to wait for it. You don't have to, like, wait for permission. Like, we, we trust you guys to make your own decisions, so you guys can go over there and get breakfast whenever it's put out in the morning, and uh, since y'all didn't get it this morning, a lot of you guys, you can get some on the way out, stuff it in your backpack if you want, take it to Impact Camp, eat it tomorrow if you want, if, if you'd like to do that kind of thing. I don't know. Um, It might go bad, though. I wouldn't recommend that. So my family, we just got back from a long road trip to Georgia. I I went to Georgia to see my niece get married. And so I got to do the wedding, which was fun to do that wedding. Um, But we like to take the slow route. So we like to, you know, get a car. We rented a car this time, and we we drove to Georgia. We we take two days to get there, two days to get back. And it was perfect timing because it was right before impact camp. And life isn't crazy enough, and uh, so we just got back this past Thursday, and uh, you know the trip itself was fine, but it was getting there and coming back where things got kind of crazy. So um, the first thing I'll tell you is, that on the way back, uh, we got this rental car, big SUV, and uh, we go to this rest stop, and my wife is walking the dog around to let her go do her thing in the grass, and uh, and then. I'm in the car, and we both think that the other one has like, shut the back hatch on the SUV. And all of our luggage is back there, right? And so we get in the car, we shut the doors, and we drive out of the parking lot. And I'm doing like 75 down the highway, and I hear this car going, eh, 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 and I'm like, what? Am I like in the wrong lane or something? And I look back, and the back hatch is totally open while I'm on the highway, doing like 70. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I'm thinking all of our luggage is, like, out of the car, you know. And uh, so I pull over off to the side abruptly, and Courtney gets out on her side. It's closer to the, the grassy area, not the other side where you're going to die. And so, um, so she goes, and she shuts it, and she's like, I think everything is here, except we did lose our um, – we, we have a doggy bed for our dog because she's a, a diva. And, uh, and, and so we had a doggy bed that we think is somewhere on the highway in Louisiana. Um I can neither confirm nor deny that, but that's where I think it is. Um our dog was not on the doggy bed, by the way, when that happened, but it, it went out the back and we no longer have a dog bed for our dog. That was one of the things that happened. Something else that happened, and I debated if I should tell you this or not, but I'm gonna I'm gonna confess this to you. That I got a speeding ticket. I heard someone gasp, like I'm like, do I look like the kind of person who wouldn't get a speeding ticket? um so i got a speeding ticket i think it's been like a more than a decade since my last one and kids i'm not this is not an endorsement of like speeding kids stay in school be responsible i'm just saying that i got a speeding ticket and it was bad because i was coming through a small town and this semi truck is in front of me for like 25 miles and i just couldn't take it anymore and there's a double yellow line and it was 35 in this zone the guy slowed down so i zoomed around this guy. And there's just a cop waiting there, right right there for me. So I got double ticket, double line cross, and 52 in a 35. And I find out Monday how much that ticket is going to be. But that's still not the craziest thing that happened on this trip. So on the way to uh, Georgia, we always stay in Jackson, Mississippi. It's like the stopping point for us, halfway, about halfway. And uh, so we stay in this hotel, and we'd never stayed in this hotel before. We stayed in the city, but not the hotel. And we stay in this hotel. We go out and we do some fun stuff at night, and we had dinner somewhere, got some dessert. We came back to the hotel um, with my two kids and our dog. We go upstairs to our, our room, and uh, we got sucked into some show. I forget what it was for, like, a couple hours. Taking the dog outside, I walked I the dog downstairs, take her outside to go do her thing outside. And I walk to the front parking lot of this hotel, and there's, like, 15 cop cars in the parking lot of this hotel. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what has happened at my hotel? And I'm not kidding. I'm walking the dog in front of the hotel. I'm walking, like, under crime tape to take my dog to this field to go let her use the bathroom. And I have no idea what's happened. We've heard and seen nothing. But it seems pretty calm considering the fact that there's 15 cop cars in front of my hotel. And I I talked to a guy who's all across the field over there. He's not a cop, but another guy just watching. And he's like, yeah, man, it was crazy. Uh, There was some guy out here who's like waving a gun in the parking lot, looking in car windows and stuff. And then the cops show up and arrest him. And then while they're arresting that guy, on the backside of the hotel, this 16-year-old kid decides to shoot his uncle. And the cops go and shoot that guy. And I'm like, are you serious? This really happened? Like while we're up in our room? Now, fortunately, no one died in this scenario. It was really awful. No one everyone ended up being okay and went to the hospital. They were okay. But um, this is like this big story, and we're like up in the room having no clue this is going on outside. And uh, and so then I go upstairs. Well, first of all, I have to go to my rental car and check it for bullet holes, which was a first. And uh, and then I go upstairs to tell my wife and kids what just took place downstairs. And I said, you're not going to believe what happened in our hotel tonight. And so, of course, the kids want to see all the cop cars. And as we get downstairs, we see all that. And then, um, so, um, so, we're, 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 we're my, my, my wife's favorite line, though, my, my favorite line that my wife said, we get back into the room, and my wife goes, but the hotel had really good reviews. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, I'm going to leave a review. And I'm going to give it five stars, and I'm going to write this. I'm going to say, this was the quietest hotel I have ever been in. You couldn't even hear the gunfire in the parking lot outside, right? And so, um, so this happened, but here's what I want you to understand from this. There is a point to this story, by the way. We're in this room, just living our life, and... Uh, And we're we're clueless about the dangers outside. We're just doing our vacation. We're just living life. We're clueless about the dangers that lurk outside this hood. We heard nothing. We saw nothing. And so I want you to think about, as we we do promotion Sunday today, um, everyone's moving up a grade. New freshmen are coming in. Uh, There are some dangers I want you to be on the lookout for, and don't just kind of walk through this thing casually as you enter these next couple of years for you. Um, We don't want you being clueless about these dangers as you promote up into the next grade. And so uh, Paul addresses some of these potential dangers, I think, in 1 Corinthians. So go ahead and turn your Bibles there if you have them. 1 Corinthians chapter three. And uh, you see the background of 1 Corinthians is that Paul, he helped plant this church in Corinth. And he spent about 18 months there in Corinth with them. And five years later, he is now in Ephesus and he's writing the book 1 Corinthians to this church. And uh, one of the biggest issues in the first three chapters of this book is division over leadership. And they're dividing over who's the best leader, who's the best teacher in that congregation. And I think this highlights a modern problem, and it's one that I call consumer Christianity. And so what does that mean? Well, so what is consumerism? What does consumerism mean? Well, when you think about consumerism as it relates to our habits, our our buying and and our business habits, we usually use a company or a business as long as they meet our needs, right? And once they stop doing that, we're gonna go on and we're gonna go on to somebody else and and find someone who will meet our needs in the way that we want. We take our business elsewhere. So one funny thing about this hotel situation, the next morning when everything was kind of calmed down, we're packing up our stuff, we're about to head out, we're packing up our, our our SUV, about to head out, and I'm about to pull out of the hotel, and this news reporter comes over, and he's like, hey, I'd like to ask you some questions about what happened here last night. And I'm like, sure, why not, you know? And so the guy does this, like, interview with me. With my window down, my kids are like, we're going to be on TV. And I kept looking back to see if we were, and of course, we didn't make the cut, so I don't know what happened there, but I didn't say enough good stuff, I guess. But um, but so one of the questions he asked me was this, he says, do you think you'll ever stay in this hotel again? And I'm like, I don't think so. Because here's the reality. When you use a place of business and you kind of feel let down, right, then chances are you're not going to go back there ever again, right? That's just not going to happen. We live in this consumer economy where we make decisions based on who's going to meet my needs the way I want them to be met, and if they don't, I'm going somewhere else. And this is just how we live. But the problem is, is this mindset starts to creep into the church and how we view the church. And we start seeing the church as just like a business, kind of like a restaurant or somewhere else where if the church does for me, I'm going to go and be a part. If not, I'm out. And there's not this real commitment. We don't see the church in the way I think that God wants us to. Um, And the Bible, I think, makes clear that we should start to see the church as not just a place that you attend, but a people to whom you belong this is how we should view the church. So one issue that Paul addresses here in 1 Corinthians is this issue of immaturity. And so look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, where it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So Paul says there are two kinds of people. There are saved and there are unsaved. But in the saved category, there's also two kinds of people, and there's mature people and immature people in the church. And so Paul says that he wants to treat them as mature, but he can't because they're they're living as immature people. He's calling them believers. He's saying they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but he's saying they're, they're acting immature in their faith. And he wants to address them as if they're mature, but he can't because they're, they're still immature. He wants to give them solid food, but he can't because they're still spitting up the milk. And so Paul is addressing them pretty harshly in these first few verses. When I think of uh, somebody wanting to be addressed as mature that's not yet mature, um, I think sometimes of my own kids. Listen, my son Landon moved into eighth grade. I have one more year to tell stories about him. And I'm going to take full advantage this next year, um, but my kids want me to treat them as mature, so example would be, you know, they're kind of at that age where it, we're like, do you need a babysitter, or they call it a kid, we're not, we're not babies, right, do you need a kid sitter, maybe not, we don't really know, um, but we still tend to do that typically, uh, but I just tell them, I say, listen, if, if, if I have to come in and referee your squabbles still, when I'm in the house with you, then I tend to think you might need another person to come in and watch you when my wife and I choose to go out somewhere. I'm just going to say that. So unless y'all can start handling your business, then, um, then I may still need to do that when they fight over trivial things like that. One example would be, you know, we, we, we got them these little, little DVD players for the car ride because it's just a long ride, and they each had their own. They could watch their own thing, and they still found a way to fight over it. Like, you have your own thing, Right? Um, in our car, it's just the one screen, and they have to choose, like, who's going to watch what. So, um, so I think for kids sometimes, there's this demand of treat me maturely when we're still kind of immature. And I think Paul's addressing that kind of thing here. So here's the first danger I think Paul addresses here. Thinking that we're more mature than we really are. And so in the analogy that he gives, the, the milk would be like the basics of the Christian faith, and solid food would be more like advanced doctrine, those kinds of things. And Paul says, I want to give you solid food, but you're not ready for it yet. And so here's how this plays out, I think, in high school. At some point, you're going to say this statement, either out loud or in your head, I already know all this stuff. Everything we're talking about on here, Wednesday, Sunday, I, I know, I already know all this stuff. That's what you will say at some point to yourself or to, to your friends. Or maybe you're a junior, senior And you begin to look down on those that are younger than you, that just maybe just came into high school, and you begin to see yourself as just above it all. Like, I'm above their immaturity, and you begin to see yourself that way. But all of that, that kind of mindset is driven by pride. All of that's driven by pride. And so true maturity has a way of producing humility in us. And when someone is truly mature, it's going to come with some humble fruit and some humility, and listen, when you guys come down here, we want to give you solid food. We want to give you substance, but you need to be ready for it. We believe that high school students, I, one of the reasons why I got into high school and even junior high ministry was I really believe that you're asking the same questions that the adults are asking. In fact, many of you, are more honest than the adults are, and you're asking questions that they're not even asking in the adult world. And so you're kind of at that pivotal stage. And we really think that you want depth, you want substance, and we wanna give that to you. We want to give that to you. And so whenever we launch our groups on Wednesdays again in the fall, our community groups in the fall, we'll spend a couple of months in like September, October, Like, really diving into a book on Wednesdays and, and like, showing you how to study God's Word for yourself. And then once November and December get here, we're going to change kind of how we started doing equip groups a couple years ago. We're going to put the equipping stuff kind of in your regular community group with your whatever grade and gender you're with and and put it in there so you guys can keep those relationships going. But for two months, we're going to be answering really hard questions like, how do I understand God's will What should I do when I don't desire God? How do I know I'm saved? How do I understand the Bible? How do I deal with doubt? How do I navigate gray areas in my life? How can the church reach the LGBT community? We're going to tackle some really big topics in those groups. And we hope you want that. We hope you're ready for that. We hope that you want that kind of substance and that kind of depth. And so we want to give you meat, but you need to be ready for it. That's going to come with some humility saying, I want to learn and grow in these areas. I think Paul is addressing that here. Look at uh, the second half of verse 2 and then through verse 4, where it says, And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And so how does Paul know that they're still of the flesh? He says, well, there's jealousy and strife among you, and you're behaving just in this very human way and not in a spiritual way. And so in Corinth, Paul is addressing a leadership issue, and there's division in the church based on human leadership. Some people are saying, you know, me, I follow Paul. And then others are saying, no, I follow this guy named Apollos. And so who was Apollos? Well, Apollos was apparently this this really powerful teacher. And some people liked Apollos over Paul. They chose Apollos over Paul because of Apollos' speaking ability. In fact, today, if you were to have, like, some big church conference, you might get Apollos to be, like, the main speaker, and Paul might lead a breakout session. Because even the Bible says that Paul wasn't that great of a speaker, that great of a teacher, was is hard for us to believe, right? I would imagine today if we could bring Paul back somehow and we said Paul's going to speak at TBC on Sunday, we'd be like, oh, I'm there. Like the guy who wrote part of the Bible, like I'm going to be there. But do you know that in Paul's day, like the Bible actually says that Paul wasn't that great of a speaker, but Apollos was. And so people are lining up to hear Apollos, but not so much Paul. And Paul, instead of, instead of Paul getting mad about that and saying, "You know, well listen to me like you listen to," he just says, "Look, Apollos and I were not the point." And he's addressing this, this leadership issue in the church. And so here's the second danger for you, is thinking that you can only follow certain leaders. One of the greatest signs of immaturity is thinking you can only grow if this person is my leader. It's especially true as you guys transition through high school and come into high school especially. You're gonna have different leaders on different years. Gotta get used to that. I think of how uh, when I was in uh, high school, couldn't imagine like growing without my youth pastor but obviously, he, he eventually moved on, and I moved to Texas. And then a mentor I had in college couldn't imagine, like, how am I going to grow without that guy? And yet God moved me on. God moved him on. And so God has a way of taking you through life. And if you approach it like, I can't grow <clears throat> unless I have that person as my leader. That's not the kind of mature thinking that Paul is talking about here. And so many will be tempted to say, You cannot grow without my old leaders. And so, what does Paul say to someone like this? What does he say to the Corinthians? Look at verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So, the Corinthians are looking at their pastors. And treating their pastors like they're rock stars. They're looking at their pastors and saying, oh, look at this guy. I'm going to follow this guy. Put him on a pedestal. But the picture Paul uses here is they really should be viewed more like farmers, not rock stars. Everyone knows farming is not some flashy profession. My grandfather was one of those, and he he was not a flashy guy by any means. And we know when a farmer is planting a crop, the farmer isn't the point. The crop is the point, Right? And the farmer doesn't take credit for the growth of the crop. He can't do that. It's not his credit to take. And the same can be said for your leaders. We can't take credit for your growth. All we do is plant and water, and God causes the growth. And so now we're going to work hard to do that. We're going to work hard to teach you well and to lead you well. And it matters how we do the work. We don't do it carelessly, but we're just servants, and each one of us has a different gift. And as you guys move up, your leaders all have different gifts and personalities. And so I'm going to ask you this, this question, please, or t- say this statement to you, please be gracious with your leaders. I, I'm blown away sometimes at the people that come in here and serve in our high school and junior high ministry and the dedication that they show. And I think of just even like just Chris and Leah, like they just had their first baby a while back. I mean, she's back there with a bottle feeding her baby right now, sitting here because she wants to be in here with you guys. And shepherd and disciple you. I'll tell you, most people, like that, that's not on the radar anymore once they start having kids. No pressure, Lee. I'm not saying you need to, I'm just saying, you know. Anyway, but I'm just blown away at some of the people that come down here and want to serve and, and disciple you and shepherd you. And so please be gracious with your leaders and know they're here. They're planting and they're watering, but it's God causing the growth in you. Um, and so growth cannot happen if you're not in relationships like that. Look up with me in verse uh, eight now. It says, "He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. you are God's field, God's building." So Paul says that leaders are gifted differently, uh, but they're on the same team. So it's not about this competition thing that we talk about. And so here's the third danger: is viewing ministry as competition. Begin to see that you've got different gifts. Someone else has different gifts. Just like on your sports teams, everyone doesn't play the same role. You've all got different talents and abilities. The same is true in the body of Christ. And so ministry should not be some competitive thing to put somebody over top of somebody else. I like what this guy named Warren Wiersbe says. He says, a mature Christian uses his gifts as tools to build with, while an immature believer uses his gifts as toys to play with or trophies to boast about. Many of the members of the Corinthian church enjoyed showing off their gifts, but they were not interested in serving one another and edifying the church. And so our goal as a leadership team is always going to be that we're edifying the church, glorifying Jesus with our gifts, not glorifying ourselves, boasting in ourselves. And I hope this is your goal as well, especially as you go through high school. You're going to be asked to do some things and to step up into certain leadership roles. And we see it with impact already, right? And, uh, but the point of all that is to serve and edify the church and make sure God gets the glory. And then lastly, in verses 10 and 11, where it says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so here's the fourth danger I want you to be aware of, is seeing our foundation as someone other than Jesus. It should not be another person other than Jesus Christ himself. This ministry cannot be built on any one leader or teacher. I love what, um, I've known uh, Tim Cartwright, our junior high pastor for, I don't know, since I was like 19, 20 years old, most, more than half of my life. And, uh, and a great man of God, I respect him immensely, one of my closest friends. And, uh, and I love what that team, their team does in laying a foundation for you guys as you come through junior high ministry. And then now we get the privilege of building on that. And so we're we're working on the same, te- we're on the same team here working toward the same goal. And so real quick, I wanna tell you what to look forward to the next uh, few weeks. We're gonna start a new series next week that I've had kind of burning in me for a while. It's called From the Heart. And it's gonna be a series of messages that are all disconnected from each other. Um, standalone messages. And I'll do a few of them. We'll have other leaders do some as well. And what I've asked each person to do is to do a standalone message. I'm asking them this question. What is something that you wish someone had told you when you were in high school? And I want you to preach a message on that. And so we're going to have just a series of messages coming to you starting next Sunday. Just things that we're passionate about and wish that someone had told us as we entered high school or were in high school in that part of our life. And so that'll be coming the next few weeks. And our plan for Wednesdays and summer nights events, um, we want to make sure that you know this. When you guys see what we have on the screen, we're, our, our goal is not to entertain Christians. Our goal is to create events over the summer that are relationally driven so that you can invite people into those relationships in hopes that they enter into a relationship with Christ. That's our goal. Our goal, don't look at those things and go, oh, that sounds fun. I want to go. No, be thinking missionally. Be thinking about people. Like, who do I want, who can I reach out to? Who can I invite? And that's the point of it. Don't just evaluate it based on, well, what's in it for me? But look at it and say, who can I bring along with me to go to that event so they can get to know some people in hopes they get to know Jesus Christ eventually? It's going to happen through community and living on a mission together. And so um, we are going to do breakouts right now. And so uh, this is going